everybody welcome back to another edition to the point podcast everybody's doing well on june 28th here on monday as uh it's obviously we know in the past year and change has been weird we're here in 20 2021 and it's june 28th and normally you know the nhl season's over the nba season is over we've crowned champions but in this weird year we're still we're still playing and honestly i'm happy for it uh we're gonna have a a busy summer when it comes to sports. Obviously, we have the Olympics, which were supposed to be played last year, which um, I'm very happy that they're going to go through in Tokyo. Uh, the, you know, those athletes that you know really only get the spotlight once every you know four years will get their opportunity to, to go for gold. And there's that. Um, starting today, we have Wimbledon. Uh, you know, uh, we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen play at the All England Club since 2019, uh, where Simona Halep. And Novak Djokovic won titles respectively. And starting this morning, we're seeing action on on the on the courts at, at Wimbledon. So that, that's another positive sign. But you know, this this season it was kind of in doubt. Never for the NBA, the NHL, they're always more skittish. And you know, they're kind of like our government here in New Brunswick. They're always uh, behind the eight ball uh, when it comes to moving things forward. You know, I could lament Nova Scotia a little bit more than New Brunswick lately, but nevertheless, I like to see things progress a little faster than they are, but that's just me nitpicking, but we're here in this position and we're going to see the Montreal Canadians play for the Stanley cup. Now the Montreal Canadians have been a staple in the sport of hockey. You think of hockey, I think the three franchises that come to mind for better or for worse whether these should be the three franchises you think of or not are the Toronto Maple Leafs, again, maybe for the wrong reasons, the New York Rangers, and the Montreal Canadiens. In my life, I was born in 1998. These three franchises really have been a non-factor. The New York Rangers have not won a Stanley Cup since 1994. The Montreal Canadiens have not won a Stanley Cup since 1993. And you have the Toronto Maple Leafs in 67. But for these three franchises only the Rangers have made a Stanley cup final in my life. I saw the Rangers lose to the LA Kings in 2014. And this is a big deal for the sport. This would be like the Dallas Cowboys in a way getting to a Super Bowl, which is hard to imagine. But when you think of underdog stories and you think of a tournament like March Madness, March Madness is all about Cinderella stories. You know, Butler, back-to-back seasons getting to the Final Four. Loyola, Chicago getting to the Final Four in 2019. Florida Gulf Coast. Well, somebody would have said at the beginning of the season, before the playoffs started, before everything, the Montreal Canadiens are going to be in the Stanley Cup Final. You would have gotten knocked out by somebody because you would have said, you're wrong. Yet, this team continues to defy the odds. Defeating the Toronto Maple Leafs after being down 3-1 3-1 after most people had Toronto winning in four or five games, including Craig Button, who said that Montreal wouldn't win a game in that series. Then you go, they go on to defeat the Winnipeg Jets, who to their credit, I had I thought Winnipeg would win after Shifley got injured. I you know said Winnipeg's done. So Shifley's suspension, sorry, but um, you know, they move on. Then they play the Vegas Golden Knights. A team that's you know still a young franchise, an expansion team that's only had four years in the, in the league, but in their four years, they've made to, they've made it to two 
conference finals, a Stanley Cup final, and then a first-round playoff exit. But they've been a dominant force since entering the NHL. And with the likes of Mark Stone, former Montreal Canadian Max Pacioretty, Stanley Cup champion Alex Petrangelo and Alec Martinez, and just stud Shea Theodore on the back end, Marc-Andre Fleury, future Hall of Famer in net, they defy the odds again and defeat them. And it's been a Cinderella story for the Montreal Canadiens all year where the defense is too slow. Corey Perry can't play. He's too slow. Eric Stahl is a bad pickup. Um, Brendan Gallagher is a player who can't be effective. Philip Dunno can't score a goal. Yet, through all of that, they're here. Whether you like the Montreal Canadiens, whether you, you love them, hate them, or indifferent, you have to respect how they got here. This wasn't fluke. This wasn't luck. And just to point out the obvious, this was not just Carey Price. Carey Price has been good in these playoffs. Don't get me wrong. The two best games Carey Price played in this playoffs, in my opinion, were games five and game six against the Toronto Maple Leafs. But in game six, Montreal all played Toronto until the overtime. But he was phenomenal in overtime. They wouldn't be here without him. No doubt. But how good has Carey Price really been? He's been a solid netminder. He outplayed the goaltending in Vegas. Not going to hear an argument from me about that. But was that really that difficult? Marc-Andre Fleury was flopping around like uh, Happy Feet, that pen- stupid Penguin movie. And then Robin Leonard is Robin Leonard. Connor Hallibuck is not a great playoff goaltender. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, Jack Campbell wasn't the problem. But again, Jack Campbell, Carey Price, it's like saying, okay, um, I'm going to go buy burgers at Costco or I'm going to go get them, you know, wherever else. <laughs> Cheap-ass burgers, anyway. It just... It, it's been a team effort. And... um. That's really what, what, what's been impressive about, about this team is just how they're doing it. You know, in the last series, the line of Terry Lekkinen, Philip Dunno, and Brendan Gallagher had one goal, that line. But it turned out to be the overtime winner when Philip Dunno assisted Terry Lekkinen in a minute and 39 seconds into game six to send the Montreal Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final. It's been a balanced attack. Shea Weber scores a goal in game six, his first of the postseason. It's just they find a way. It's low scoring. They score the first goal, and they normally win. Have they come back? Yeah. They came back against Vegas in game three, where they found they clawed their way back. They get a break. Mark Andre Fleury caught the puck up to their butt. What did they do? They took advantage of the moment. And that's, that's where they sit. The Montreal Canadiens, they, they're comfortable. They're confident. They have a four-lined attack where we've seen the Caulfield to Foley line be really productive. Cole Caulfield's a rising star. Do I, Who knows? I mean, the kid was playing at Wisconsin a month and a half ago. People saying that this kid's going to be a superstar in the league, I think it's a bit presumptuous. I think he he's having a great Stanley Cup run. He could win a, um, a Stanley Cup in his rookie season which is just incredible, Magic Johnson-esque. But at the same time, we need to pump the brakes. We don't know if Cole Caulfield is going to be a superstar for the Montreal Canadiens 
for decades to come. And even a dire Montreal Canadian fan has, I think you'll have to agree with that because we've seen too many players that you think are going to be great that just aren't. Do I think the kid's got swagger? You're damn right. And I think he's a really good player. The thing you can bank on, Caulfield to fully been great. Nick Suzuki, I mean, you listen to the podcast, you know how I feel about this guy. This guy's a winner. He's a 200-foot player, and he shows up in big moments. He's not afraid of the moment. This team reminds me a lot of the Atlanta Hawks who are playing in the NBA playoffs right now. Now, they're down 2-1 in their Eastern Conference final series, but they're too young to know better. A lot of these guys, Toffoli, uh, sorry, Caulfield, uh, Suzuki, Kokaniemi, they don't know any better. They, they don't know that they shouldn't win. The Montreal Canadiens shouldn't beat the Vegas Golden Knights, but they did. And a lot of it's just, as you get older, you think more about it. You know, listening to players, you think, am I ever going to win a championship? In Dan Marino's second season, he had won the MVP. They get to the Super Bowl. In that Super Bowl, he flung the ball around. They didn't win, but I'm sure he was thinking, I'll be here again. He never made it to another Super Bowl. But I'm sure that season, he's just, I'm playing with house money. I'm in my second season. I shouldn't be this good this fast, but I am. That's the Montreal Canadiens. They, they're just, they're here. Now, looking at their opponent, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who will host game one tonight at Ameling Arena in, uh, in Florida. It, they are the opposite. They are the Trojan horse. They are the, the front runner. To start this season, if, to pick a Stanley Cup favorite, if Tampa Bay was not on anybody's list, you're an idiot. I had, just be fair, I had Tampa, Colorado in, in the final. I was wrong. I was half right. I, I got Tampa right, but obviously Colorado was, was hosted by Vegas. Um, but Tampa has been the presumptive favorite all year. Now they came third in the central division behind Florida and behind the Carolina hurricanes, but they beat Florida in six games, tight physical series, but they get through it. Then they face Carolina hurricanes who have the coach of the year who have one of the best defense cores in hockey have been probably the most, one of the most impressive teams all year, other than care, other than Colorado, in my opinion, and they dust them in five games, winning two of those games two to one, playing a style that you see a lot of defensive teams play. Tampa can play it because they're that damn good. Then they go and play the New York Islanders, and the New York Islanders gave them everything they had, every bit of sweat and tears they brought into that series. The fourth line banging the hell of them. The defense core of the New York Islanders – full of just piss and vinegar guys like Scott Mayfield, Nick Letty, Adam Pellick, but they survive it. And they battle through. They win in game seven, a one nothing hockey game. Again, showing their versatility that, yeah, if you want to play 6-5, we'll outscore you. But you want to play that one nothing 2-1 game? No big deal. We'll win that game too. And that's... I can't be lightning. To be the front runner is difficult because you're always in the lead, but you have people on your ass the whole season. And to their credit, they knew it 
from the drop of the puck is difficult to repeat. Pittsburgh Penguins did it in 2017, uh, you know, with, with a great team with, with Crosby and Malkin still in, in the prime of their careers, and they battled through it and they won the Stanley Cup. The Tempe Lightning are in, are in the position to do the same thing. And in this salary cap era where players are forced to just basically get dumped overboard, you know, like pirates of old, it's tough. The Tampa Lightning, the league can say, oh, they broke the cap. And Kucherov, Kucherov had hip surgery. Who's going to volunteer to have hip surgery? The guy was injured. And they used – I mean, teams are doing it. The Toronto Maple Leafs do it too. They just – they're out in the first round. So you can't use that argument. Carolina Hurricanes, Dougie Hamilton complained about it. They could have used it, but your owner's too damn cheap. So maybe go to Tampa on your next contract, take a little less money. Maybe you could – reap the benefits but this team kept a lot of their some of their parts they kept luke shen again is he playing every night nobody's a depth piece that they wanted to they acquired barkley goodrow and blake coleman at the trade deadline last year they've got ryan mcdonough which is just incredible because i think he's been better than victor hedman in these playoffs he's been their best defenseman and they, you get you win a cup last year without your captain in steven stamkos and in these playoffs, he's been like their seventh best player. I'll run through that list if you want. I think obviously Braden Point's been a lot better than Steven Samkos. That's no brainer. Nikita Kucherov's a better player than Steven Samkos. Uh, Victor Hedman's a better player than Steven Samkos. Andre Vasilevsky, better player than Steven Samkos. I think Anthony Sorelli is a better player right now than Steven Samkos. Ryan McDonough is a better player than Steven Samkos. Then I'd probably have Stammer seventh. Palat's right there too. But it just shows you how good this team is. I can name six guys, and I feel very confident about those six, that they're better than the captain of the team making $8 million, really, you know, the face of the team. And this is how good this team is. So on paper, you know, Tampa, in the back of the mind, beginning of the year saying, okay, who's going to be our, our biggest competition? We got Nathan McKinnon. And the big back Colorado Avalanche, that's going to be tough. Or Vegas. You know, Vegas, they're building a team. They got Petrangelo in the offseason. They got great goaltending. You know, Mark Stone, he's a, he's a great player. That's going to be a tough matchup for us. But to wake up on June 28th this morning and say, game one, we got home ice. We got, we got the Montreal Canadiens. You know, on day one of the season, they'd have a parade. Our, I don't think that's the case anymore. Anyone who says that this series was going to be a cakewalk, I think you're just, you're doing it out of hatred towards the Montreal Canadiens. It's like Toronto fans might say it's going to be a dusting. Toronto fans say it was going to be a dusting in round one. And um, you were wrong. The Montreal Canadiens are a feisty group and they're going to make life difficult in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm going to be doing a preview show tonight. I might be joined by a guest just to see if he uh, just depends on if um, he can finish his tea time as we're going to go uh, Facebook live on to the point at, at 8 PM to, to chat about the game, kind of go through different matchups, but let's just start off here looking at the big picture. For Montreal in this series, for me, if Montreal is going to win the Stanley Cup, 
they need to do a few things. And I, one big point of emphasis for me is coaching. Because in these, in these first two games, you do not have the last change. But how are you going to get Philippe Dano on the ice against Braden Point? It is imperative that Dano, Gallagher, and Lekkonen are the line that goes up against Point, Palat, and Kucherov. That is your most effective shutdown. Philip Deneau has been putting on a clinic on how to play defensive hockey in these playoffs. He doesn't give you anything. He shuts down the middle of the ice. He makes life very difficult for you. And he's just a really, he's a horse in the middle. He wins draws. He knows where to be. He's in the right position. Is he going to put up a lot of points? No, but he's going to keep the opposition from scoring. Case in point, Mark Stone had zero, I repeat that, zero points in the conference final against Montreal. You could say Philip Deneau won them that series. I mean, Mark Stone having a great series, Vegas probably wins it. But Philip Deneau shut him down, and that's a huge emphasis. So coaching, can you get the right matchups on the ice? I think Tampa will be comfortable in any matchup they put them up against. Uh, the weakness of, of this team defensively, you know, Point, Palat, and Kucherov going up against Anderson, Byron, and Kokaniemi would likely be the best matchup. Maybe Caulfield to Foley, because you might see Caulfield cheat a bit. He's not the strongest on a stick. So potentially you could find a matchup there. But get that matchup. Deneau against Point early set that up frustrate him make life difficult you also want weber and Sherratt on the ice against that line as well i mean that's stating the obvious but weber and Sherratt have been unbelievable in this playoffs ben Sherratt's a guy i love you you've heard me talk about him on the podcast before the postseason of how just how good he is and when i think what ben Sherratt is is for stanley this is kind of my comparison to stanley cup teams for the LA Kings, he's their Jake Muzzin. Remember in 2012 and 2014, Jake Muzzin was the, was just a really good – he was paired with Drew Doughty. And he was perfect with Drew because Drew could take risks, could do things. But he was also just – he's stable. You know what he was going to do. He's big. He's physical. He's a great defensive pair. That's what Ben Sherrod is. Weber doesn't take as many risks, but – Schrott's had big calming influence on Weber where he knows he trusts his partner. He's going to be in the right position, make the right play. Um, Chicago Blackhawks, I, I would say that's Nick Yalmerson. That's who Ben Sherrod is. He's going to block shots. You see it, look at these Stanley Cup winning teams. They have this similar type defenseman where he's just there. Brendan Dillon for the Capitals. Uh, he, he's that type of guy. Joel Edmondson, who's on Montreal, uh, funny enough, for the St. Louis Blues. Um, so the Montreal defense score is, is pivotal, especially the top four. Continue playing the way you have, and that is you'll have good results. And you know, Weber, Sherratt, Edmondson, Petrie, keep playing the way you have. you got a good chance. For Tampa, and I don't think to be afraid of this, but get traffic in front of Carey Price. Get to the dirty airs. A guy you know is going to get to the dirty airs is Braden Point because that's just the way he is. He's a dog. He gets in the middle. He's not afraid to mix it up. He'll take those cross checks that 
other players his size just won't. But he'll get to those areas. He'll he'll get into scoring positions because that's just the way he approaches the game of hockey. But Alex Kalorn, Palat, uh, the big rig, Pat Maroon, get in front of Carey Price, make life difficult because Vegas just didn't. Their defense scored, but they did score when there was traffic in front. Carey Price is playing at an elite level. So is Andre Vasilevsky. You need to make life difficult. And seeing seeing shots on the point are going to be tough for the Tampa defense, jump into the rush, you know, make, put some pressure on that Montreal defense, make their forwards come back and cheat a little. If they're going to cheat offensively, then make them pay for it on odd man rushes and get some traffic in front. Of course you get some great shooters. You know, when you have a power play for Montreal, they have the best penalty kill in the postseason. Tampa has the best power play in the postseason. So go figure that these two teams are here at the end, but is Kucherov healthy? He's the straw. He's the, the straw that stirs the drink for that power play because it runs through him. It's imperative that if he if he is healthy, obviously that that makes it so much more lethal. But if he's not, force him to make a play. Force him to have the puck, make a pass when he's not healthy. It, it might not get there. And you know you're not trying to hurt people. But you know Kucherov's banged up coming into this series. You know Eric Chernak's banged up coming into this series. If you're the Montreal Canadiens, hit them. Hit them early and often, especially Kucherov. He's going to have the puck. He's on the top line. You're Sherratt, you're Weber, you're Deneau. You guys are heavy guys. Make life difficult and make them know that you're, you know they're there. And it's going to be a long series. It's going to be a grind. And it's not going to be easy for them just to come out the other side. And also looking at this series, I mean, look at the net. Look at, excuse me, between the pipes. This might be the best goalie matchup in the history of the Stanley Cup Finals. You have Carey Price, who is the best goaltender of his generation. He's won a Vesnas. He's won a Hart Trophy. He's won two Olympic gold medals as a starting goaltender for, for Team Canada. And you got Andre Vasilevsky winning a Stanley Cup last year, nominated for the Vezina, likely to win it this season. Just a stud goaltender who will be playing for Team Russia at the Olympics in, in, uh, in 2022. And they both, you know, Vasilevsky's the younger guy. He was drafted in the first round. Carey Price drafted in the first round. And they both developed into great goaltenders. Andre Vasilevsky has won has clinched four straight series for the Tampa Bay Lightning with a shutout. That it's incredible. He's 14 and 0 in his last 14 starts in the playoffs following a loss with a 967 save percentage. That's incredible, just incredible what he's been able to do. And he had his problems early in his career, but he's found it. He's such a big man, he's agile, he's quick, and these two I'm sure have a ton of respect for one another. But it could come down to the goalie matchup. You now, Vasilevsky's had some shaky moments in these playoffs, but I think he wants this. He wants this matchup. Tampa, you know, winning a Stanley Cup last year, having a ton of pressure, but going up against Carey Price, really the guy that was, when he came to the league, this is who you aspire to be. And if he could take a cup from Carey Price, for Montreal, for guys like Shea Weber, Carey Price, 
Corey Perry, Stahl. This is this is it. You know, you're not going to get a better opportunity than you have right now in the present to win the Stanley Cup. If Carey Price doesn't win one this year, more likely than not, he will never win one. You know, Montreal in 1993 won the Stanley Cup. In 1994, they didn't even make the playoffs. I could see that happening with this group. I do think they're building something, but you have an opportunity to win Lord Stanley now, and you're going to get a lot more wiggle room from fans, even Montreal, if you win a cup and miss the playoffs next season. You can, you can take that a bit better knowing, well, at least we, we got a trophy in our building from last season. But for these guys, we see it. We see the New York Islanders when they lost. Matt Barzell talking about how tough it is to lose that series with a guy like Andy Green on the back end, a veteran who, you know, this might be it for his career. You know, could this be it for him? Uh, you know, Matt Martin and uh, Paul Barry Zajac on that Islanders group, how you want to win for them. And Montreal kind of has that mentality right now where they're saying, we want to win one for Corey Perry. He does have a cup, but it was back in 07, but he's working so hard. Eric Stahl in 06, Shea Weber, um, you know, even Carey Price. We want to win one for them. You know, Caulfield's like, you know, I'm a, I'll be back. Well, he might not be. We see how difficult it is to win championships in pro sports. I mentioned Dan Marino before. Not everybody is going to have a Tom Brady arc where you get to 10 Super Bowls, you win seven that's once in a generation type. First of all, that's one once in a generation type talent, but it's also luck. You need a lot of luck to get to 10 Super Bowls to be in that position. And you know, not everybody's going to have, some people are going to have, maybe have the, the Mike bossy treatment where Pat Maroon, the big rig for the, for the Tampa Bay lightning is looking to win his third straight Stanley cup. One, one in his hometown of St. Louis in 2019, they let him walk. He goes to Tampa Bay. He wins a Stanley Cup last year. Now looking for his second in Tampa Bay to be his third straight cup in a row. Some people have that Pat Maroon, potentially Mike Bossy arc, where there's also teams or just people where in their career, they're Jim Kelly. You know, they go 0 for 4 in Super Bowls and you, you're a great player. Shea Weber is a great player. Kerry Price is a Hall of Famer, but potentially you get skunked in your career when it comes to winning a title, but you're in a position to win one now. You need to grab it while it's here. And I'll go into more detail about the matchups tonight, but I think this is going to be a great Stanley Cup final. Um, two Eastern Conference teams, which, which is different. Uh, I didn't think I'd love it, but I, I'm fine with it now. One storyline tonight is um, Yol Armia, obviously plays in that fourth line with Eric Stahl and – um, Corey Perry, he is in COVID protocol. Uh, Montreal has not announced if he's tested positive for COVID, but I, I know yesterday was reported that he would not be traveling with the team. So if he does not test positive, I believe if he comes back with a negative test, he should be eligible to play. So I think what he's in protocol, so obviously he's not traveling with the team for safety, but if he was come up with a negative test, he would be able to you know, take it. I'm sure they'd fly the plane back, grab him, and he could go to Tampa Bay and play. That's how it kind of works. So he potentially could be out of game one, likely out tonight of game one. Um, I think we'll see Jake Evans inserted into the lineup, who we've not seen play since the hit from Mark Shifley, where he suffered a concussion. Um, but he, he would add a different element to the team, but I'm sh 
they don't want to mess up their chemistry right now. Their lineup is, I mean, they're 11 and two in their last 13 games. So they, you know, they're, they're chewing really well uh, lately and how they've, how they played. And also, you know, Dominic Ducharme still has COVID. Uh, he should, he's eligible to return in game three. So he will be on the bench uh, for game three in Montreal uh, on Friday night. That's another gripe I have. Um, why is the game three on Friday? You know, it's, it goes, this is how the series goes when it comes to schedule tonight, Wednesday, no problem with that Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, as it goes on, but why, why NHL are you putting a game and a Stanley Cup play game on a Friday night? I don't care when it is. I'm, I'm going to watch the game because I'm a diehard hockey fan, but the casual fan who's like, or oh, I'll watch the Stanley Cup. People don't watch TV on Friday nights. The NHL doesn't have a specific day, but if their closest date, their closest to having a day is Saturday. You know, hockey night in Canada and all that bullshit. But the game should be Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. If you're going to give them two days off for the weekend, have it Saturday. Saturday night, Montreal. Imagine what that's like. I mean, Friday will be fun too, but I'm, I, I just think it's so stupid that Friday night is going to be worse ratings in the States and in Canada because it's on Friday. I wholeheartedly believe that because Saturday night, people will find time nine o'clock. Okay. We'll have our day. We'll settle in after Canada day and our weekends winding down. Let's let, let's see what we can do here. Let's party. Let's watch game three uh, Habs lightning, but no, let's put it on Friday where the NHL has, no bearing and the NHL's never worked on Friday. When, when, when did people ever want to watch a hockey game on a Friday? Never, but oh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know marketing, but I just think it's stupid, but a lot of this is stupid. Hopefully another thing I'm hoping for is game three again, Friday. Um, I know the barn's not going to be packed in much. I'm not going to say pack the barns. It's like, you know, banging my head against a wall. But if you look at the outside of the stadium, how many people were there for game six? Like, why can't half of those people be in the building? I've been in the Bell Center many times. It's the greatest atmosphere you'll ever watch a game. Not even close. I haven't been to a lot of ranks in the States. I want to get, you know, one of my life goals is to get to every uh, rank in the NHL. But I've been to Toronto. I've been to Ottawa. I've been to Montreal. I've been to the TD Garden in Boston. That's a close second but the bell center is just different and if you put 10,000 in there it would feel like there's 50 because they're they they're going to be wild and the with the building so big you should be able to fit 10,000 in there safely whatever the hell that means anymore but put 10 grand in there not 3500 or whatever stupid number the doctors up there think is look outside. If they're out there standing, you know, in unison, drinking beer, flipping cop cars, spitting on each other, why the hell can't some of them go inside? But again, I'm probably wrong here because I'm just trying to push things forward and trying to get life back to normal. But that's the Montreal or the Quebec government's on par with, with Nova Scotia on this one, but 
we'll leave that for another day. Um, but game one tonight, like I said, you can, uh, I'll be on tonight at eight o'clock on to the point, uh, Facebook page will be going live to talk about game one, probably be on there for about half an hour, talk about the game, talk about the big matchups and get you prepped for, for game one. And I, I'm going to plan to do a live. I won't be doing one Friday for game three, but every other game in the series, I've planned to do a live before the game just to, just to prep and, you know, also, you know, get myself ready for, for I'm sure it would be a, a great series between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Montreal Canadiens. In other hockey news, uh, late last week, the Seattle Kraken ha- uh, made an announcement and they hired their first head coach in team history. And this one caught me by surprise. They hired Dave Haxtell, the former Philadelphia Flyers head coach, and it was just recently for the past two seasons behind the bench of the Toronto Maple Leafs running their defense core as an assistant coach. Um, I thought, you know, Rip Tockett would be the head coach of the Seattle Kraken. He had I think, three different interviews. Clearly things fell through there. And Dave Haxtell has the job. I mean, still has to fill out his staff. Obviously the expansion draft will be upcoming after the season, which is always interesting, but it's a, it's an interesting hire. Um, we see what Vegas did where, you know, Gerard Gallant thinking he wasn't a coach with a whole bunch of you know, accolades. He was in Florida. He was in Columbus before that, where his success was limited. Should he have been fired in, in Florida? No, especially not the way they did it. But the guy had never been, he'd never won a playoff series with, with Florida. He had never you know, gotten close to a championship, but they hired Gerard because they thought they loved his philosophy. And that's really what Ron Francis said about Dave Haxtell. Dave has one stop as a head coach. He was a college coach for a long time. He was head coach in Philly for a little over three years. And he, you know, he doesn't have a winning record, but they did get, they did win a few playoff series when he was there. And eventually Philly just grew tired of him and hired Alain Vigneault after firing him. But I don't think it's a bad hire. Obviously he's used to pressure uh, coaching in Philly coaching in Toronto, you're going to get, you're going to face some pressure. And I think Dave is going to be under more pressure than people think. Um, And the reason for that is Vegas. The Vegas Golden Knights have ruined expansion for every team. You could look at baseball. If they do an expansion be like, well, the Vegas Golden Knights did this in their first season. I think that's going to be a narrative. And for, for Seattle, they're going to be put under that window. How are you going to look? They're not going to be able to take advantage of trades like Vegas did. But for some organizations, I believe they will. Here's one. The Tampa Bay Lightning have Tyler Johnson under contract for another two years. Tyler Johnson is a Seattle native, but he's got a big ticket making over $5 million. I think Ron Francis can make a call and say, We'll take Tyler. We know you're screwed when it comes to the cap. You got 14 players right now under contract for next season, and you're paying them $89 million. The cap's 80. Uh, so what? Well, what, what's the break? You need to sign a whole, a whole up half a roster. So maybe give us a first round pick. Give us this and that. You can take advantage there. I think that will most definitely happen. Toronto Maple Leafs. You know. If I'm Seattle, I'm not taking Alex Kerfoot just to make Brandon Shanahan 
you know, Kyle Dubas and all the people up in Toronto happy. I'm not taking this player that I don't like at all because I don't think he's very effective, but I'm not taking him in his $3.5 million ticket just to put a smile on your face so you can go sign a backup goaltender for one five. Okay, I'll take Kerfoot, but um, who are you going to give me? You're going to give me something. You got no picks. You got no cap. What, what, what prospect that's any fucking good in your system? Give me something. These are just two examples where I think Seattle, there's going to be more out there because all you got to do is call them up and say, yeah, we're going to take him. And the team, if they love that player, will break instantly because they'll be like, uh, you're going to take him, huh? Uh, I prefer if you didn't. What about this guy? Well, you know, we'd be more willing to hear out your, your offer if, uh, if we had like a first round pick sitting in our lap. I think those deals will happen more and more because of COVID, because of this hard cap system, teams are up against it. And we saw Vegas take advantage of it, how much success it gave them early on. They've used that to propel them into getting to three conference finals in their first four seasons. Is Seattle going to do that? It's too early to say. I haven't seen their roster yet. You know, I'm going to look at this Seattle roster a hell of a lot harder than I did Vegas because Vegas is like, oh, their expansion team, they're done. Well, Alex Tuck's a really good player. They got Shea Theodore, so they didn't take Cam Fowler. Um, can they find a few diamonds in the rough? I'm sure they will. But we'll see. But I think you know, Hackstall is going to be under more pressure than people think just to match what's, what Vegas did early on. And it, it might be unfair what Gerard Gallant, Kelly McCrimmon did, uh, Bill Foley did in Vegas is going to hurt every expansion team for the rest of time now because they had success and the fan base, the ownership, if, it, if it's an aggressive ownership, are going to say, well, why can't you? You know, we put you, you're in the same position, go get it done. So, I think it's, it's a decent hire by Seattle. It's a little outside the box. I, I didn't see his name in the mix until about 30 minutes before he was hired, uh, which is funny is, you know, Sportsnet and TSN had to scramble, put out tweets. Oh, Dave Axtell might be being hired, you know, because Seattle didn't leak anything. So uh, that was Darren Dreger and Elliot Friedman trying to sound like they knew this for weeks when it was pretty apparent that they had no clue. Um, but yeah, see, see, the expansion draft will take about a week after the NHL season's over. So that's right around the corner. And then we'll, then we'll have the NHL draft. And then free agency will will happen after that. I believe free agency is July 28th. So uh, a month from today, we'll start NHL free agency and the offseason as, as we prepare for that. The week after a major in golf is normally pretty saturated. You know, you see... A lot of big name players say, you know, check, please. I'm tired. Give my body a break. I'm not going to go play this tournament. But the Travelers Championship this weekend really didn't have that. You know, they they had some big sponsors with RBC and, uh, you know, Titleist being big, big sponsors. And, you know, big name players had to go play because, you know, sponsorship money. We saw world number one, Dustin Johnson. Brooks Kepka, who was coming off an injury, would normally never play after a major. Patrick Cantley, Bryson DeChambeau were all in attendance in Hartford. 
But when it came to Sunday, it wasn't about you know, the big names at the top of the leaderboard. It was about Bubba Watson and Kramer Hickok and Harris English. And they, they were battling us really a three-way race. Bubba Watson had the lead coming down the stretch. And it looked like he was going to win his first tour event since 2018 until he turned into DeChambeau. And his last four holes were, if you remember, DeChambeau uh, last week at, at the U.S. Open, he just melted on the back nine. You know, Bubba wasn't as bad, but it was pretty ugly for Bubba Watson. Just, just a rundown of what happened to him. 14th hole, bogey. 15th hole, bogey. 16th hole, double bogey. 17th hole, bogey, and he finished the day on a bogey on 18. He goes from 13 under to 7 under, missing out on not only a championship, but prize money, you know, FedEx Cup points, just a disastrous number of holes for Bubba where he was 3 under on the, on the front nine. He had the lead going into the back nine, and at the point of the 14th hole, he was still in the lead with Kramer Hickok and Harris English on his tails. But so he melts, and this gives Harris English, he birdies 16. He bogeys 17 to get back to 12 under, but on 18, he comes up with a huge clutch birdie putt to give him the lead as his day ends. But still on the course is Kramer Hickok, and Kramer is, is playing with, um, with Bubba Watson in the final group. So Kramer is at 12 under on 18. He knows he needs the birdie 18 to to push it into a playoff. Harris is on the range prepping. Good thing because he needed to. Kramer just makes a clutch birdie putt, gets in the 13 under, huge fist pump, and we're going to a playoff. Now, for context, Harris English has won many events on tour. He's been around for a long time. Kramer is, is, a, is a new face. He Prior to this tournament, he's you know his tour card's running up. And how golf works, it's different from every other sport, really, because if you don't win, if you don't have good showings in these tournaments, you lose your PGA Tour card. Where without a win, you got to go back to the Corn Ferry Tour. You got to get the exemption to play in these events, and that's really where Kramer's coming up. The rest of the summer, he's only got about two, three exemptions left. So winning this tournament would have been huge for him, and boy, did he come close. We see an eight-round playoff hole between these two men you know the the playoffs started a little after seven o'clock it ended after nine uh this tournament where you know cbs had to air this the travelers for an extra two hours i'm sure 60 minutes fans were just uh, having an aneurysm thinking you know when are we going to get to hear from you know uh lester holt and all these other people talk tonight but it was it was incredible you know we start on 18, hole, par, par. Play the 18th hole again. Par, par. We're both, what was so crazy about this is every drive that these two guys did, good or bad, they seemed to match. At one point, it was right down, they were within two feet of each other. Then another time, they both go in, in the uh, left side bunker on their drives, and it was just uncanny. Uh, third hole on the 17th, Kramer's got a large, a long par putt. He needs to par to push it through. He makes the putt. He's got a large uh, group of family there. And they're, they're so excited for him. He makes a big fist pump. But then Harris answers again. Fourth hole, they're both in the bunker. A sand save. 
Harris had, had a good chance for birdie. He misses it. And it was really the fifth and sixth playoff holes where I said, Kramer Hickok has got this term. He's got a great look at birdie from about 10 feet. And it rolls out. It was going around the cup. It lips out. And that hurt. The sixth hole for Kramer. He's got another good look. And the ball just, it skids right. He missed it. And it felt like he was going to win this tournament. As these playoff holes, they played six of them on the 18th hole, two of them on the 17th. And I was texting a friend, a friend of the show, Matt Wright, saying they need to get off this 18th hole. It's a really makeable par four. It's really a birdie fest. Both of these guys were just struggling. You know, they were parring, parring. But finally, on the eighth playoff hole, it's still on 18. It's it's a it's a bat, uh, Kramer hits one in the rough, tough tough spot for him. Harris has a good drive, puts his putt within a few feet. Kramer has to putt for par, but Harris has a good look from about five feet for birdie. He makes the putt. And he event he wins the tournament after eight playoff holes. It's the second longest playoff in PJ Tour history. And you know these names are not household names. You know, but what this proves yet again is this was two hours of just fantastic. There's no NHL. There's no NBA yesterday. Uh, there wasn't any NBA till nine thirty last night. What this proved yet again is that golf is so damn entertaining. If if golf isn't fun to watch. Okay, flip the figure skating. Then you'll really have an interism with the 60 Minutes fans because that's when you really you drop shit creek and you're bored. This this was fantastic theater. Both, you know, Kramer looking for his first career PJ Tour win. Harris, you know, with this a huge win for him, it propels him into second in the FedEx Cup uh, standings where how that works. And at the end of the year, they play three playoff uh, tournaments at the end of the year where the farther you, the further you are in, in the FedEx Cup standings, the better odds you have. You, you're gaining in strokes. So you'll start the tournament, um, you know, so many strokes ahead of your competition. And that the winner of that tournament wins over $10 million. It's a huge, it's a huge event. So Harris passed John Rahm, passed Bryson DeChambeau with that win, now only trails Patrick Cantlay by 123 points. So a huge win for him. But you know, tough for Kramer, I'm sure, today looking back saying, I could have, you know, restocked my tour card. I could have played at, at majors with this event. But ultimately, great theater, a great tournament at the Travelers. You know, after a weekend of a major, you never really want to have this. The Travelers, you know, you're saying, we don't want this a weekend after a major. This is great. Um, fantastic theater. We have the Rocket Mortgage uh, coming up this weekend in Detroit. Then we have the John Deere and then we have the open championship, uh, you know, in, in sandwich England in, in a few weeks. So some great golf here to come. We'll still have obviously golf at the Olympics. So we'll see what happens with Mackenzie Hughes and, and uh, Corey Connors already uh, coming, uh, coming out and saying that they'll be playing for Canada uh, at the Olympic games in Tokyo. So great, great tournament yesterday at the travelers, great theater. And, uh, you know, a great tournament following a major, which is often rare uh, on the on the PGA Tour. The NBA has been interesting this year. We, we mentioned, you know, it's the real big theme has been injuries. You know, Anthony Davis injured, James Harden injured, uh, Kyrie Irving injured, 
And these teams have dropped out. The Brooklyn Nets, heavy favorites, Lakers, they're out. Yet, we sit in the Final Four with the Phoenix Suns. And what can you say about the Phoenix Suns? They're a healthy team. They don't. Chris Paul was out for a period of time because he had COVID. But that's not an injury. They've been healthy all postseason. And what's hampering their opponents, the Los Angeles Clippers, for the, a big part of their team, is an injury. Kawhi Leonard, the often injured superstar, is out You know, for this team. He's got a knee injury, and he's not played a second in this series for the Los Angeles Clippers. And Saturday night, they lose by four points in a game where neither team shot the ball well, but they lose 84-80, uh, a tough matchup at home. And now they head into tonight in a must-win game where in, back in Phoenix, where Phoenix has just been a dominant team on their home court. And you look at the Phoenix Suns. What have they done? They've drafted and developed really efficiently. Uh, Devin Booker is a 14th overall pick. Now, out of Kentucky, I don't think they saw him being as good as he is, but he's just a warrior. He's the next Kobe Bryant. He's just got that killer mentality where he's not afraid of the big moment. He'll take the shot, and he's been a huge piece for this team and a huge reason as to why they're winning. Then you have DeAndre Ayton. Drafted first overall, you expect him to be good, but he struggled early on. He did struggle with confidence, but he's talked about them acquiring Chris Paul has been so huge for him. It's changed his career. Where in these playoffs, he's come up big. He makes the game-winning shot at the rim in game two. He's averaging over 20 and 10 in the playoffs, and I believe he has 13 games with a double-double. Uh, he's got 20, and you know, Saturday night gets 22 points, 16 rebounds, a couple blocks. He's done a good job on, on in the second round against MVP Nikola Jokic. He's just an effective guy. Then you have a guy like Cameron Payne off the bench who's played all around the world. This team is just, they're healthy, they're a strong unit, and they're, they're just a better team than the Los Angeles Clippers. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are better than Booker and Aiton as, as a tandem, but Kawhi Leonard's not there. And Paul George has had his moments where he's looked like a clutch, clutch player, but it, Saturday night, it just, he didn't have it again. In game two, he missed the free throws to clinch the game. He missed both of them. Saturday night, he missed big shots down the stretch. And in the NBA, it's about making the big shot at the big time. That's how you're remembered. That's how you're judged. For a long time, LeBron James was saying, well, you're not a clutch player, LeBron. You don't make the big shots in the big moments. So that's always a knock against him. What do you think of about Michael Jordan? You think of him holding the pose against the Utah Jazz. You think of John Paxson making that shot to win the championship for those aforementioned Bulls. You think of Ray Allen making the corner three to push it to overtime in game six of the 2013 NBA Finals against the San Antonio Spurs. These big shots are what you're remembered for. And in these clutch moments, Paul George just hasn't been there enough. Now, do I think it's all on him? No, because you're playing shorthanded. You're playing without a superstar. You're not supposed to be the alpha. Kawhi Leonard is a better player, and you're put into a position where you've had no success in your career. But the Clippers head into tonight where they're on the road, they're down 3-1, and we're going to see if they have any fight. Do you have fight left in you? You're down 3-1. Tyron Lue said it's very doable to come back. And looking at this series... It should be tied. In game two, you can't let DeAndre Ayton get to the rim. That's a win. 
Game three, you obviously win. Game one, they lose by a few six points. It's been a nip and tuck series. But it's these clutch moments where you, they need to get a lead. You know, be a front runner. Get, get a lead and don't let Phoenix back into the game. That's my advice for the Clippers tonight. And, you know, Marcus Morris Sr., to me, he's clearly injured. So if he is, he's not really productive out there. Give Nicholas Batum his minutes. Batum's really good defensively. He's been tough on Devin Booker. We've seen Beverly do the same thing. But continue to have Booker struggle and make guys like Aiton, Chris Paul, uh, Mikhail Bridges, make them beat you. They're not the same shooters. They're role players. And if you're if you're relying on role players to win a game, like you're likely not going to. Reggie Jackson's been great for the Clippers in these playoffs alongside Paul George. So keep him going and, and try to make try to get DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble. You know, if you're Zubach, get into the paint, make Ayton's life difficult so that there's they lose their big man presence on the court and you have an easier time getting to the rim. But looking, I, I like the Suns. They haven't been to an NBA final. They're basically like Montreal getting to a Stanley Cup final. Obviously, Montreal is a more storied franchise. But the last time the Suns made the playoffs was Charles Barkley's team losing to Michael Jordan. Uh, and, you know, we see a lot in the last dance. Steve Nash and, and co. with Amari Stoudemire got to two straight conference finals when Steve Nash won back-to-back MVPs, but they could never get over that hump. You know, it would be great for Phoenix to win tonight. Because in the other series, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Milwaukee's up 2-1. But who knows? You know, get some rest here. Prep for that next round. Make sure Chris Paul's okay. He had COVID. Make sure he's okay with his fitness. Get him in, in better game shape. Um, have him ready. But you know for certain that you're playing two more games in Milwaukee, Atlanta. Game four is tomorrow night in Atlanta. Game five, Friday night, uh, Thursday night in Milwaukee. So... And I, I suspect Atlanta will win tomorrow night. So I think that at least goes six. So that, per, that pushes you into the weekend and you get a breather and maybe you start Monday with, with game one uh, of, the, uh, of the NBA finals. But get some rest. Close them out tonight. Do not give the Clippers any hope. That's the worst thing you can do. Close the book on them and push yourself into an, an NBA finals tonight because you do not want to give this team hope. Maybe Kawhi Leonard can come back in game six back in Los Angeles. Maybe it's a smoke screen saying that he'd come back later in the series, but you don't want to have that option where Kawhi Leonard can just jump off the bench and, you know, come be the hero. He, he, he's capable of it if he's healthy. We seen him, we saw him do it with the Toronto Raptors in 2019, but don't give him that option tonight. So um, game five tonight, Phoenix, uh, Clippers at Suns, uh, where Phoenix will look to advance to the NBA Finals. Um, like I said, the other uh, Eastern Conference final, we get Hawks, Bucks. Last night it was Trey Young had a great first half, but he just got he got cold in the second half, and he really didn't have a whole lot of help. He, he got banged up a bit, but Bogdanovich is clearly injured. He's not really been an effective player. John Collins is going to have to need to be the man in Game Four. You need a secondary guy. To, play big they won in game one because john collins was that guy clint capella needs to be better on the offensive end just grabbing rebounds getting extra possessions because trey young is not a great three-point shooter he shoots under 33 percent from three he needs to continue to be aggressive not be afraid of the shot but it's going to be tough for atlanta to win if chris middleton is playing the way he has last night in the fourth quarter 
He was just a man on a mission. He finished with 38 points, 11 assists. He was the MVP last night, not you know Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is a two-time league MVP. But it was it was Chris Middleton who just said, "I'm taking this game over. You know, this game is mine now," and he he grabbed it. And he is such a roller coaster player because when he's on, he's an all star. He is a great complimentary. He's a great Paul George. You could say he's a better Paul George. But there's games where in game one, he was 0 for 9 from three. I believe he had eight points. And he was just ineffective scoring the basketball. And for, for his caliber of player, you can't just say, well, I'm really good defensively. You need to put up points. You know, Drew Holiday. He put up 12 assists last night. That's great. He, but he has not been shooting the ball well in the playoffs. But it's good to see him at least dish the ball around. Give the ball to Giannis, who had 31 last night. To Middleton. To Bobby Portis, who has been a really strong breast, uh, uh, breast, bench presence uh, in the series, who you know only played 15 minutes last night, but gets 16 points. He, he does it effectively with rebounding, with quick shots, and he's also got a three-point shot that can be deadly. So... Now, the game four will be tomorrow, but I look at John Collins. I look at Trey Young. I think it's a must win tomorrow. Going back to Milwaukee game five, I don't think they'll win that game. We saw them lose game three to the Philadelphia 76ers. They won game four after trailing by 26. Can you do it again tonight? If it's a best of, then it turns into a best of three. Milwaukee has home court, but you've done it before. You had a best of three where Philly had home court. You won the series. So for Atlanta, play for that. Play tomorrow night like it's a like it's a must win. If you're Nate McMillan, get your team ready to play and you know go out there and, and grab the win for, for your group. Uh, so game uh, game three, uh, sorry game five, uh, Phoenix uh, Clippers tonight. We also got uh, Hawks Bucks tomorrow night in in game four. Um, before we wrap up today. Just touch on Major League Baseball a little bit. I'm going to be getting more into baseball as these other sports wind down. It's just been, you know, it's heavy right now. Uh, but a couple of things I wanted to point out, just the, these three players and what they're doing is really incredible. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. obviously is leading the leading Major League Baseball at home runs with 26. Uh, you know, his turnaround after what he looked like last season. And, you know, he's got 26 home runs. He leads baseball and, and runs batted in. And he, he's just been a force, uh, in, incredible stuff from him. But then you got Fernando Tatis Jr. the third, who's got 25 home runs, one back of Vladdy. And this, this guy is just a stud as well. He hits the game-winning double yesterday to put the get the Padres a win over the Diamondbacks. He's 25 homers, over 50 RBIs, and the Padres are playing in the toughest division in baseball right now. I think it's even tougher than the AL East just because, I mean, the Blue Jays, are fourth in that division. They're okay, but you look at you look at Giants, Dodgers, Padres. They're they're just better than I think the Yankees and Blue Jays when it comes to stacking up talent. So Tatis is right there. Then you get Shohei Otani, who's got a an ERA of two sixty as a pitcher. He's been phenomenal, but he's also hit twenty five home runs this season. And when he hits a home run, it's not just like you know some. Bright Gardner home run at Yankee Stadium where you, you hit it to left and you basically poke the ball and at least the park. This guy's hammering them almost 500 yards. He's crushing balls. And yesterday, what a day as they get a, as the Angels get a win over the Tampa Bay Rays where he goes three for four with a, with a home run, a double, and a triple 
He has four RBIs, and they they beat the Rays 6-4 in Tampa Bay. And to me, obviously, uh, Vladdy and Otani will be battling for the American League MVP. Tatis is, I don't see his competition in the, in the National League. Ronald Acuna has slowed down a bit. He is 21st home run yesterday. Obviously still an elite player, but I don't see anybody close to Tatis Jr. right now. Uh, we still have a long ways to go in this series. Guys will emerge. I'm sure more will emerge in the American League as well. I mean, we're, we're a few weeks away from the All-Star break on July 12th. But right now, it, it's a two-horse race in the American League with Otani and, Vlad, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But, uh, you know, for, for Tatis, he's really just playing by himself right now. Uh, no Dodger has been fantastic. Cody Bellinger is batting 224 on the season. Um Mookie Betts hasn't been that great. You look at Francisco Lindor for the Mets, who they thought would have a, have a big season. He's starting to play better, but again, it, it was a slow slow burn to the start of the season for him. So he he's uh, faltered a little bit. But um, for these guys, it's just incredible what they're doing at, at a young age. Obviously, Vladdy and Tatis are a lot younger than Shohei, but Shohei to be doing both, being Babe Ruth and having this kind of success in both, you know, in both pitching and batting, even though you know his team's terrible, it's super impressive. And you know, just talking about the, you know that division. I mean, the Giants continue to win. They lose yesterday to Oakland, but they're first. I mean, you got Dodgers and Padres who are separated by a game. So interesting. And then you have the NL AL East, where the Blue Jays have won seven of the last eight, but they still trail the Red Sox and, and Rays by six games after this incredible stretch where they've beaten up on bad teams and, you know, the Orioles and, and the Marlins, but the Red Sox, they sweep the Yankees again this weekend. They're seven and zero this season against the New York Yankees. And, you know, they blow up Garrett Cole yesterday for six runs in the first two innings, just JD Martinez dares going deep off him. And it was, it was an ugly day for the Yankees. And obviously just an ugly day all season for the Yankees, ugly season so far for the Yankees against the Red Sox. Still a lot of games to be played in that series, but to lose your first seven is ugly. And you're looking at the American League East where I mentioned the Blue Jays are, are in fourth. You know, they got to, they got to claw their way back here. Uh, they currently, they sit six games behind of Boston, five and a half back of Tampa Bay. They did pass the, the Yankees yesterday with the Yankees losing uh, with the Yankees losing again, but, and then you got NL West, you got uh, San Francisco 50 and 27, just incredible what they're doing. Dodgers trail them by three and a half and the Padres trail the Dodgers by a game. So it's, it's a tight race. I think those two divisions are the toughest in baseball. Obviously what Milwaukee and Chicago are doing is, is great. in um, in the uh, NL central, also, Houston and Oakland uh, separated by two games, two really good teams as well in the AL West. But like I said, I'll be getting more into baseball and you know what, what's really happening there as these other sports wind down. But that's just kind of a few headlines that I'm going to touch on this morning. But tonight I'll be live on Facebook at 8 o'clock previewing game one of the Stanley Cup final. Hope you guys can all join me. It should be a lot of fun. But uh, I'll be back tomorrow with Seamus as well for our Breaking Bad Season two finale, as we touch on the last two episodes of season two, which are really emotionally packed and, and really interesting in their own right. So as always, have a great day, everybody. Stay safe and um, we'll talk soon.